Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode 22.3. This is the third episode in our series on Isle Royal National Park. In this episode, Brian speaks with park ranger Mark Romanski all about the reintroduction of wolves to Isle Royal. If this is your first time tuning in, listen to past episodes, including an interview with Ken Burns or episodes on parks, including Biscayne, Crater Lake, Everglades, Grand Canyon, Great Smoky Mountains, Olympic, Saguaro, Shenandoah, Yellowstone, Yosemite, Zion, and more. Send us your questions or comments to hello at everybody'snps.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Now let's get to the conversation. Hi there, I'm here with Mark Romanski, the Division Chief Natural Resources for Isle Royal National Park. And we're going to have a very anticipated discussion on wolves, something I'm very excited about. So, uh, Mark, welcome. Thank you very much for being on Everybody's National Park. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate you inviting me to this opportunity. We've already started our podcast series on Isle Royal National Parks and uh, our Royal National Park. And uh, after having visited this past August, so of course, Isle Royal has many things to recommend it. But I would argue probably the prime attraction is something you're probably not going to see, which is the wolves. So we were all excited about uh, being, you know, cheek by jowl with uh, wolf packs. So we're very excited to talk to you about this. And we have, I have a lot of questions about it. So hopefully this is a, this is going to be a very interesting conversation. So, so thanks again, I guess I'll start is uh, why are there wolves on this Island in the middle of Lake Superior? So, so how did they get there? Sure. I think that's a, a great place to start. Prehistory, we do not know of wolves existing on Isle Royale, so pre-European contact. Now, that's with a caveat being, you know, we have not surveyed all the archaeological sites on the island, so we don't necessarily, we wouldn't know, I guess, is the best way to describe that. But wolves decided to walk across the ice in 1948, and that's when they established themselves on Isle Royale. So there's a chance they've walked over, who knows, hundreds of years ago, spent some time and either walked back or whatever pack or packs were on the island eventually died out. But as far as we know, it's not that long ago. It was 1948. And what happened with that original packs of wolves that came over in 1948 over the last couple of years? Yeah, I should, I should also say that in 1948, we had a pack walk over, but at the same time, you know, the MPS. Uh, was working with the Detroit Zoo to relocate some wolves from the zoo to Isle Royale. That didn't go so well, but the outcome may have been that one or two of those wolves did mix into the wolf pack that arrived across the ice. Uh, We just don't have the data available to know that for sure. But back to your original question, you know, what's happened between now and then? Well, we've seen a large cycle in the population from as few as the single digits all the way up to like 50 wolves at its peak. Just like a lot of things in nature, you know, their population goes up and down for a myriad of factors, some of which we're able to describe and some of which we're not. We had a dwindling of the that Uber 48 wolf pack or packs that came over. We had a dwindling a few years ago. And then before we came here, you know, summer of 2019, it seemed like just a year prior, it was a big policy if not a policy change, but it seemed like a, um, 
certainly a policy shift where you you all reintroduced wolves back to the island after they had dwindled down to just a, a pair. Is that right? That's correct. And that the best way that I describe that policy issue is a policy conundrum. I think the two biggest factors, uh, which I think we deal with in a lot of land management agencies or even just in our, our everyday lives, is we're able to do this, but should we? And so I think that was the question. The Park Service was entertaining, and there's a lot of factors at play in that decision. But ultimately, the Park Service came down to predation is an important enough ecosystem dynamic that we should put it back into the system at Isle Royal. Because essentially at two individuals, they were having zero effect on the moose population, which prior to in the, the five years prior to us initiating, initiating wolf introduction, you know, they were growing at roughly 20% a year. And, and, and that's last year up to 2,000 individuals at the population estimate. So the conundrum was, you know, we're a national park forever wild. Do we let it evolve on its own, which means evolve with no wolves? Or, you know, do we manage this at some level? And again, with the moose population exploding, we needed to, you needed a kind of a natural predator and, and uh, what, what better predator than the wolves than reintroducing them, right? Yeah, correct. And putting species back in is not new to the Park Service or other land management agencies. Uh, the difference with Isle Royal is we're an island and everything changes when you're an island, you know, things aren't normal when you compare them to the mainland. And so that was sort of a further uh, piece in the puzzle that we had to talk amongst ourselves and talk with the experts and and decide, you know, how to work that in. Because it's natural for species to go sort of to blink on and off in an island ecosystem. Along those lines about the wolves walking across the ice, Mark, uh, probably an obvious question to you, but it may not be obvious to everybody is, uh, the simple question of why wolves, why not bear? Why are there no bear in Isle Royal National Park? Why didn't they walk across this the is, This is a great question. And, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this given my training, but I, I entertained that for a couple of years before I finally figured it out. And that's because they're asleep in the winter. <laughs> that's right. It's, a, it, it's definitely one of those forehead palm slaps too. When, when, uh, by the way, to make you feel better, I, we had to ask your colleagues, you know, in Wendigo, where are the bear? We're so, it was, for us, it was relaxing not to ha- not have to be bear aware. That is a great thing about Isle Royal. It is. And it was kind of a, a you know, a palm slap of, uh, oh yeah, of course, they're asleep. They're not, they're, they can't make it across the ice. So we have the wolves and now, so we have this new pack. Now, how many wolves are there? On, I'm sure it's shifting now in the dead of winter here, but how many wolves are there on the island as far as you can tell? Uh, right now, we have 15 wolves for our introduction effort, eight males and seven females. Uh, we're starting to see our first associations, I'll call them, or grouping up. We don't call them a pack until we know that they've reproduced, essentially. Uh, they're defending a territory and they're reproducing. That's when we call them a pack. And when they bring that first litter of pups to essentially dispersal age. So uh, that's when we'll call them a pack for sure, but we're definitely seeing wolves running together. And and that's a positive sign in terms of, you know, our goals for uh, restoring predation and a viable wolf population back to the island. Maybe you can break some news here. Any sign of a, of a litter and the population growing naturally? Yeah, unfortunately, we won't know that until probably late February, early March. And even then, we won't know about a litter per se, but through our collaboration 
with Michigan Tech will be able to get some observations, hopefully, of courtship behavior. And so that time period, wolves should be displaying this, you know, behavior. And hopefully we catch them. It just all depends on weather and our ability to observe them from the air. And of course, we're uh, recording this in, uh, in early January, which leads me to my next question. What is winter study? Mark. Yeah, so Winter Study is a long-term research program initiated by the National Park Service. And at the beginning of its inception, uh, the program was located at Purdue. But for the last few decades or, well, four or five decades, it's been uh, here at Michigan Technological University, which is located um, in Houghton, Michigan. And the primary investigators for that program are Dr. Rolf Peterson and John Vucetich. And they uh, coordinate with the Park Service to do annual surveys of both the wolves and the moose on our road. So you actually have rangers bunking down in the middle of winter on Isle Royal studying this. And of course, probably a little bit easier to see wolves roaming around, contrasted with the snow, than it is you know, in the middle of the summer with a, with a full forest canopy, I, I would imagine. Correct. Yeah, the, the goal is to see as many wolves as you can, as many times as you can, so you can get a good count of the wolf numbers on the island. So essentially it's, it's a census for the most part. And then with respect to moose, we have a scientific process of estimating the population. So it's not an actual physical count. So when we say we have you know 1,500 moose, we didn't actually count 1,500 individual moose. It's a population estimate where we use survey methods to estimate throughout the whole entire landscape because it would just be you know, technically and financially infeasible to count every single moose. <laughs> that would be really tough. Yeah. And again, we partner with Michigan Tech for that work. And so Dr. Peterson and Dr. Bucetich are out there doing that work. And then Park Service goes out and assists. One other thing that occurred to me is I would imagine the ice can be a two-way street that in the wintertime, have you had wolves leave the island and head over to the mainland and just decide that's where they would like to live? We certainly have, and, and we've had wolves walk out as well, as you mentioned. So the most recent instance of a wolf leaving the island was last winter. We initiated our introduction program in September of 2018, and we started in Minnesota and moved four wolves from Minnesota over to the island. One of those wolves decided that the island wasn't the place for her, and, and she left the island in late January of 2019. And since then, she's been all over Minnesota and Canada. So she decided the island wasn't for her. I'm sure you're sorry that that happened, but uh, at one level, it's it's kind of nice to hear uh, hear about a wolf with agency saying, yeah, this is not for me, and I'm going to head back to Minnesota, right? Yeah, no, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. It's, I mean... With GPS collars, we're able to see more than we ever have before into the lives of wolves. And, and to be able to document that kind of journey, I just think it's, it tells us something about the animal that we didn't know before. And I think it just creates a lot of wonder for everybody. Well, let's get into the kind of the lives of wolves a bit. So, and again, I don't mean to be imprecise, but can you describe, Mark, you know, how a pack or, or in the case of right now in Isle Royal, how an association works? Are they, are they territorial or do they move amongst one another? You know, how do they work? Are they social animals? Uh, they are social animals. When they pack up, they defend a territory. Uh, the size of that territory depends on a lot of different things. The availability of prey, the number of wolves in the pack, uh, the landscape in general, just 
a multitude of factors. The benefit of packing up is they can secure that territory and their food and also in doing so reproduce and and make more wolves. (laughs) The interesting thing about putting wolves back into the system in Isle Royal is you know, because we're trying to give the population a genetically diverse start, something that's a little bit different occurring on Isle Royal right now is you have wolves from different areas within the great within the Lake Superior region, for lack of a better word. And so they're trying to sort out their relationships. And I think that's because they're confined to the island that's a little bit different than, say, the mainland where they have the ability to walk away further than they do right now. In that way, it's a little bit different. And one of the primary interests of you know, biologists as we go forward here is to see how the wolves work out that relationship amongst themselves. It's fascinating. It's not as though they're, you know, that old trope of rats in a cage, you know, they'll, they'll mate because they're in a confined space. Again, social animals, they, I'm going to be very, you know, imprecise here, but just because it's a male a wolf and a female wolf, they may not like each other, care for one another, or there may not be some compatibility. And one will leave the area and go somewhere else and see if that's more to his or her liking. It's, it's kind of fascinating how social they are. I think we're just beginning to understand some of this because, you know, as technology advances, we're able to get a more, as you say, precise inference into the lives of wolves. And so we're just beginning to understand some of these relationships and how they're able to work themselves out and starting to see, as you caught on to, the differences between individual animals. You know, even even though they're wolves and wolves generally pack up, there's differences and and each animal is different and they have their own personalities it seems like in many regards it seems like it i would you know i hate to go down that road but it certainly seems like it with that can you just sketch out you know how do they hunt you know what what we hear about the wolf pack type of hunt but what do you see on isle royal is there anything particular about isle royal or is it a wolf's a wolf how do they hunt how do they select a moose to take down do they only take down moose there's a lot of information about this wherever there are wolves there are people studying wolves and so there's a lot of information about how wolves go about hunting. I think the biggest story is that they're very adaptable. They're able to take down huge critters, moose and critters that are much bigger than them. And of course, than the smaller critters like a snowshoe hare or a beaver, you know, they're able to work with it all <laughs> and figure it out. And I think that's probably the most fascinating thing about wolves is how adaptable they are. Specifically to Isle Royal, I, I can only address with you know, what we've looked at in the past and what we're currently looking at with the reintroduction efforts is the wolves tend to target young and old moose, (laughs) the easier targets, but they also will push it if they need to, meaning they'll, they'll take a prime age animal if there are no other options. For example, if you have uh, like a, a winter event for whatever reason, kills a lot of moose. And so that next following year, what's left is essentially just the strong moose, for lack of a better word, then, you know, wolves are going to have a tougher goal of it because, you know, now where there were a lot of calves and maybe some old and sick moose, uh, there aren't so many. And so now I got to work a little harder for my meal. So that's part of it. It depends on their prey base. What options do I have? You know, on Isle Royal, they have moose and beaver to a lesser degree, snowshoe hare. And that's about it. Where as a and they may have moose and white-tailed deer. And in some instances, when we'll get too close to human occupations, maybe a calf of a cow or something like that, which is certainly undesirable. But So it just depends where they're at and what's available to them and how much room they have to roam in order to just carry out their life. 
So Mark, say I'm in a chopper with you right now, middle of winter, we're, we're flying over a tip. Let's say there's a typical type of hunt. What are we seeing with the association or how are they taking down that moose? What tactics are they using? Yeah, in general, usually the alpha pair does the killing and then the other wolves come in once the animal is down or on its way down. That's sort of the general description of how wolves hunt. Uh, They often test an animal first (laughs) to see whether or not they want to put the nail in the coffin, so to speak. And a lot of times during that testing, they'll either fail or decide it's not worth their effort. Wolves generally eat once every 10 days or seven days, just depends on their last meal and how big it was. Uh, but they can go that long before, you know, eating again, or at least having the the need to initiate a hunt again. But generally, you know, they'll give chase and try to strike at the rear of the animal or the nose once they get it down to get it on the ground and then go in from there. You know, Isle Royal has a lot of research regarding wolves and moose happening, and we spend a lot of time in the air. You know, Michigan Tech and that group spends a lot of time in the air looking for these observations, but there's very few times they've actually observed a a kill and were able to document it from the air. Uh, They usually come in after the fact and say, oh, yeah, here's a kill site, and you can tell by, you know, blood on the snow or the amount of wolf tracks and, and scavengers that are in the area. Mostly that's how we get the information. And then secondarily, we use GPS collar data to generate clusters. And then the clusters are essentially um, groups of GPS points that tell us that at this point on the landscape, something happened. And then we go in during the summer and investigate what happened on that. It could be just a bed site. It could be a moose kill. It could be a beaver kill. It could be a snowshoe hare kill. So that's another way in which we're determining how wolves are eating. And that primarily occurs in the summertime. That's fascinating. And I didn't know that. I, you know, from the movies, I would think the, the entire pack or association, uh, you know, would surround its victim and, you know, they all take a shot at it. I didn't know that it's the alphas or the alpha pair that does the heavy lifting, as it were. And then as it's on the way down, that's when everyone else jumps on in to finish it off. That's, um, that's pretty fascinating. Now, I imagine a, a moose is not defenseless, that these the moose can pack a pretty big wallop if they get a wolf right. I mean, have you seen wolves, injured wolves, or, or should I say killed wolves from uh, crossways with a, a moose that was healthier than they thought and was able to kick or, or butt better than they, than they had anticipated? No, I think, you know, most of the time, if it's a healthy moose, most of the time that moose lives. <laughs> they don't succumb to a wolf pack because they're big enough, they can defend themselves. The wolves at some point say, well, this isn't going to work out, so <laughs> let's move on. It's a hard life for a wolf because you have to, like on Isle Royal, you got to contend with large prey like moose. And so one kick to the head or the ribs can be fatal. That's a risk anytime you go up against a moose. And then you have other wolves to contend with. And that's also a risk. If you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you could be killed by another wolf pack. Generally, wolves. The average age, I think, is somewhere around three or four years old. The alphas live a little longer because, you know, they're, they're at the top of the pack. They eat first. You know, they're a little wiser to the scene. It's a hard life being a wolf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Similar to how I grew up. Dad got the biggest pork chop, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes. Um, so let's now, now we're, let's get out of our chopper and let's, let's spin forward to, it's not January, but it's July. And I'm with you and I'm, I'm coming in to 
to for a day trip or I'm coming in to camp out a couple of nights in the back country at Lake Ritchie or Chicken Bone, how likely is it I'll see a wolf? Unlikely. Very, very <laughs> unlikely, don't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I've been working at Isle Royal for uh, 23 years. The first three quarters of that time was spent in the field. I've only ever seen wolves twice hiking the trails. They just, when people arrive, they use the trail work network when people aren't using it. And that's actually one of the things we hope to look at now that we're deploying GPS collars on wolves is how does human presence affect wolf behavior because we'll have essentially two seasons, as it, as it were, one season with people and one season without. So we'll be interested in, in knowing here, this will be the first year we'll be able to tell that by looking at the GPS collar data. So what our presence actually, if it does or does not, uh, impact the way wolves move about the island. Right. In contrast to the moose, which is, uh, you can't miss them. They're, they're everywhere. It's just same thing with us. We were very excited and we, we were told you're probably not going to, most likely you're not going to see a wolf. As a matter of fact, we ran into, and we were all from the East coast, but we ran into a hiker in the backcountry who was a regular to Isle Royal and he had hiked every trail Isle Royal. And his view was he's going to keep coming back until he sees a wolf. And it had been 20 years. And so we, that really straightened us out that uh, we're probably not going to see one. But let's say I'm hell bent to try to see one or be close to one. Do they concentrate in a certain area of the island uh, rather than others? Or it just, they roam freely. It doesn't matter. Or is there a time of day, early in the morning, late at night? If I wanted to try, understanding the chances are slim. Well, I can say that the two observations that I had one was early in the morning and the other one was in the middle of the day. <laughs> so I don't know if there's the best time to see them in terms of where to see them. Wolves do use the trails on Isle Royale, but just about everything uses the trails on Isle Royale. I don't know if you noticed when you were there, but if you walk and look down, you'll see the scat of every single animal on Isle Royale on the trail corridor. They all use the trail because it's easy going and uh, they can get from point A to point B, and I'm assuming more efficiently. We actually use that to our advantage in, in you know, collecting DNA from SCAT, for example, or trying to get diet information uh, from SCAT. So they're all over the island. And you know, for a wolf to travel from one end of Isle Royal to the other is, is a day's journey. You know, it's not difficult for them, except for the fact that they have to deal with other wolves. Uh, they have to be wary of that. And in the summer, people. Well, I, I think they're, you know, they're not, I think with respect to people, they're aware of people's presence and they adjust their behavior accordingly. And let's just, well, let's just pull on that. Let's just knock this out. The wolves in Isle Royal to be respected, but they are not a tangible threat to humans at all, correct? I would say wolves anywhere are not a tangible threat to humans. And I know some people would argue with me on that. If we're behaving ourselves in the backcountry, they are too. <laughs> of course, there are interests outside of our world. There are instances where wolves get too close to, close to humans, and you know we do have to pay attention to those things. Uh, but generally, they're not a threat to humans. Right. I think fair to say the last thing a wolf wants to do is mess with a human. Just it's not what they want. If you do have an account encounter, they're turning around and running, <laughs> or you know walking away. They're not interested in checking you out. From my experience, an hour. What about the wolf 
howling and calls. We were hoping at a minimum, we got out in the back country and we thought, well, maybe, maybe we'll hear a wolf call and, and you'll laugh at me. We talked about this in our prior trip report podcast, bedded down for the night asleep two in the morning or so. My brother and I woke up, could have sworn we were hearing the wolves howl. Turns out once we woke up in the morning and we actually recorded it. It was a loon <laughs> and we were just so excited and, and we were so excited and mental and we were dead asleep and we were so excited that it could be a wolf. Our brains told us it was one, but it wasn't. So what about the, the wolf howling? Is that, a, is that something that occurs as one would think from the TVs and films? Do you hear those often or not, not so often? I would say not so often. We don't get a lot of reports of wolf howling. And, you know, Isle Royal has a pretty... I don't want to say a lot of visitors, but our visitation is dense in terms of like space. So the size of the Island and time, the period for which, you know, visitors are on Isle Royal, it's a dense kind of use. There's a lot of people in a short amount of time on Isle Royal, and we don't get a lot of reports of sightings or howlings. Um, You know, I can count on mostly one hand, usually how many reports we get. So you're talking about, you know, 15 to 18,000 visitors annually. And, you know, I get five to 10 reports of a sighting or a howl. And people are sleeping. I think they hiked all day. They're tired. They're out. They're, they're right. Right. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the, uh, the irony of, uh, again, there's so much, as I said at the top, there's so much to recommend Isle Royal, but it's funny that one of the attractions are you're there on this Island with, with wild wolves, but you're really not going to see them or hear them. It's a bit of a paradox, but still Isle Royal is, um, is just amazing with or without the seeing the wolves, just knowing they're there was kind of a neat feeling as well for us when we were camping out. It was a, it's the, it's the whole package, right? It's your, it's your journey to the Island that gets you in that space. Like, Oh my gosh, I've got to be on the boat for this many hours before I get there. And you know, your mind has a chance to calm down and think about your trip. And, and then you get out and into the wild and out on the trail and, and, I think it's the whole experience. And then, like you said, you know that wolves are there. You know there's a good possibility of seeing a moose. And so I think it's a good blend. And it, it really, I don't know, for whatever reason, it speaks to a person. And we get, like you mentioned, that guy who's been coming for 20 years. I'm sure he would love to see a wolf, but he keeps coming back every year. So there must be something else there as well, you know? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. You know, we did see on the trail a moose femur. I got excited. I thought I found a major scientific find. We, we told the ranger and he kind of shrugged and said, you know, was it a skull? Then thanks for letting us know, but he clearly wasn't that excited. But for me, look, it, it was exciting. I mean, there's, um, to discovery, there's evidence that look there, there, and to your point, they're running up and down the trail. So who knows where the rest of that carcass was, but clearly there was a, <laughs> this wolf had a bone in its mouth, like any good canine. And, uh, you know, at some point when he was done with it, just, or she was done with it, just tossed it aside on the trail and, and kept moving. That in and of itself was fun for us to think about. Yeah, to think about that. And also just the size of a moose femur. When you think about your own leg and you hold that up and you're like, oh my God. Oh, it was Fred Flintstone style. It was, you know, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the brontosaurus. The brontosaurus burgers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, well, listen, Mark, and again, I'm with Mark Romanski, Division Chief for Natural Resources at Isle Royal National Park. This was, as you can tell, a pretty exciting conversation for me because we, we fell in love with Isle Royal. We were just excited to be in the same neighborhood as Wolves. We're so, I'm happy that they have been reintroduced, understanding that that was a bit of a decision to be made, but it's kind of nice to know that they're there. I, I don't think you broke any news, but I'm glad 
you didn't say that they've all left and walked across the ice here. We're in January, 2020. So it sounds like they're still hanging around uh, for any visitors to, to kind of camp next to come this uh, spring, summer season. So that's, that's good. I'm going to take that as good news. Yeah, you know, we're, we're excited about this project. It's a big project. It takes a lot of effort and we have a lot, I mean, numerous partners helping out. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll, we'll be out there in a few weeks and we'll start looking into things a little closer here. I'm going to leave you with one last question. We usually ask all of our guests about, you know, a, a transcendent moment they've had at their park. I'll ask you that, but I'm going to modify a little bit. I'd also like to hear the circumstances. Maybe that morning walk you were on when you saw the wolf. What was that moment like? Where were you in the park? And how quickly did you glimpse the wolf? And, uh, and again, I'd love to know what, after all those years, what ran through your head when you finally said, I'm laying eyes on a wolf. Well, as you know, you're married, right? Well, then you know about love. <laughs> <laughs> so I happened to be romantically involved with a, a fellow employee at the time and had hiked into Lake Ritchie and spent the night uh, at Lake Ritchie, but I had to be back to work the next morning and I had to get up early, hit the trail, then jumped in my kayak to make it to work by eight o'clock in the morning, paddling down from Mosky Basin to Mott Island, which is about six miles and doesn't take that long. But that was the instance where, you know, I was just hoofing it on the trail, trying to go quickly. And all of a sudden heard some movement off to the side and turned and looked. And there was a wolf blowing past me about 30 yards on, on the trail. He was aware of me, obviously, long before I was aware of him, but or her, I should say, either way. But um, yeah, that was sort of that early morning wolf observation. Oh, you just uh, you just tugged at my heartstrings because we camped at Lake Ritchie. Again, not knowing, we just thought Lake Ritchie looked like a, a great spot. So it's, I can envision exactly where you were and your, again, I, I laughed at you, your commute. Um, we're here on Long Island. It didn't, didn't exactly sound like the Long Island Expressway at rush hour. So your, your commute sounded actually kind of lovely. You know, that whole morning was one of my better mornings on Al Royal. And you mentioned transcendent moments. I have so many of them. Uh, I guess that's why I've been here for 20 plus years. This is my first love, I guess. What a great spot to to end our conversation. Again, Mark, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us. And uh, please take care of those wolves out there. I, I can't wait to come back and uh, and maybe get lucky uh, like you did that uh, that summer morning. Yeah, I hope so. And, and uh, if you come back, look me up. I'd, I'd love to meet Will you. Will do. Well, thanks again, Mark. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodys.com nps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag Everybody's National Parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. 
thank you to all of our listeners and financial supporters via Patreon for sharing in this national park adventure. Bye for now.